why life random discussions about life learning hello guys welcome again to another episode of random discussions about life and learning today we are going to continue our book review of the economics classic book wealth of nations by adam smith and we're up to chapter eight and chapter eight is called of the wages of labor um, this is actually a good chapter on understanding the mechanics of the wages um, and the labor and I actually made some points in this chapter um, and the first point that I would like to make is that um, labor there's no point of labor or the use of it if there's no appropriation of land or accumulation of stock so um, in in one of the early pages but this original state of things in which the laborer enjoyed the whole produce of his own labor could not last beyond the first introduction of the appropriation of land and the accumulation of stock um, as soon as the land becomes private property, the landlord demands a share of almost all the produce, which the laborer can either raise or collect from it. His rent makes the first deduction from the produce of the labor which is employed with the land. So basically, if you you know if you own the land, when someone works on the land, um, you're expected to pay the rent obviously to the owner of the land. Um, and then another one, if there's a profit, you know, this profit makes a second deduction from the produce of the labor, which is employed upon the land. So that's another factor that needs to be taken account if you want to work, if you want to work, um, if a laborer wants to work on the land, that um, a profit needs to be, if a profit is expected, that needs to be part of the um, uh, amount that needs to be paid to the owner of the land. Um, so the workmen desire to get as much the masters to give as little of, as possible so it's obvious it's obvious right so if you're the if you're if you're the master if you're the one paying the employees you want the wages to be as low as possible because you want to let, pay less cost but if you're the laborer you want as high as as possible um so there's the mechanics there that needs to be met so that you know they don't fight all the time obviously um okay the masters being fewer in number can combine much more easily and the law besides author besides authorizes or at least does not prohibit their combinations while in pro while it prohibits those of the workmen so i think back then it was okay for businesses for merchants to to combine to actually lower the prices of labor but it doesn't look like unions were allowed um, so a landlord a farmer a master manufacturer or a merchant though they did not employ a single workman could generally live a year or two upon the stocks which they have already acquired many workmen could not subsist a week a few could subsist a month and scarce any year without employment so basically it's just saying that um you know if you're an employee or if if you're a laborer um it's very hard for you to actually subsist if, if you're not employed but the landlord or farmer can can live um a little bit longer than that 
um, generally a year or two, well, at that time at least. Um, okay, I made another point here. This is actually an interesting chapter because it discusses how the mechanics of the labor price works. So a man must always live by his work and his wages must at least to be sufficient to maintain him. Yep, they must even upon most occasions be somewhat more. Otherwise, it would be impossible for him to bring up a family and the race of such workmen could not last beyond the first generation. So it's this chapter is basically saying, this part of the chapter is basically saying that if you want to raise a family, your labor, your wage must be able to... Uh, to be it must be more than to maintain yourself so obviously um, if your wage is only enough to maintain yourself then you can't raise a family if, but if you want to raise a family you better make sure that your wage is actually able to maintain that um, family if you've got a wife and you've got children so that that part of the chapter is a bit um you know that's common sense and it looks like the mortality rate is high during the 1770s. Um, uh, one half the children born, it is computed, die before the age of manhood. Jeez, man. Um, yeah. Um, okay, another point that I underlined here. The demand for those who live by wages, therefore naturally increases with the increase of national wealth and cannot possibly increase without it okay it is not it's not the actual greatness of national wealth but its continual increase which occasions a rise in the wages of labor it is not accordingly in the richest of countries but in the most thriving or in those which are growing rich the fastest that the wages of labor are highest England is certainly in the present times during the 1770s a much higher a much richer country than any part of North America. The wages of labor however are much higher in North America than in any part of England. Um, so this is basically saying here that um, the more GDP uh, basically in today's terms that we call we measure the national wealth by GDP in this um, day and age um, the more GDP the more demand for labor right because obviously if you've got more GDP the more wealth you have and the more products um, available in the market that actually demand more for labor to maintain that GDP if you want to increase more and produce more um, and it's saying it's actually to me it sounds like a, a little bit um, predictive like prophetic because Adam Smith basically um saw that the that america will actually thrive because he says here but though north america is not yet so rich as england um and remind you this is in the 1770s and it it is much more thriving and advancing with much greater rapidity to for further acquisition of riches the most decisive mark of the prosperity prosperity of any country is the increase of the number of its inhabitants. In Great Britain and most other European countries, they are not supposed to double in less than 500 years. In the British colonies in North America, it has been found that they double in 20 or 5 in 20 or 5 in 20 years. 
nor in the present times as this increase principally owing to the continual importation of new inhabitants but to the great multiplication of the species because of the great acceleration of population and um and labor that actually drove the um the economy of, of north america and it's just prophetic for uh, Adam Smith to do that here um, because he could see America growing even greater than Great Britain. And he's actually right. Look at America now, um, except for the uh, political side of things. But America is, is, uh, is a great country. And it's amazing how Adam Smith could, um, could see that. Um, and, okay... And I think that's it, guys. It's just uh, it's just amazing how this um this this chapter actually um foresaw the um the emergence of America of North America as one of the greatest countries or one of the greatest economies. And Adam Smith could see that um, in the population, in the in the labor market. So it's interesting to note that if you had a, a if you have a, I mean, if we apply those principles or those analysis by Adam Smith at that time, in today's world, let's see, for example, America, which is one of the one of the um, countries that have uh, greatest populations, right, aside from China. And India, look at the economies, they're growing, man. So, you know, there is still some truth to the principles that, or to the ideas that Adam Smith mentioned in the book. Um, because if, if you have a great population, and if you can actually mobilize this population, especially if it's a very skilled population, then it will drive your, your economy, man, like the US. Um, very skilled in China, look at their population, and, um, and India um so i guess so that's that's it guys that's you know that's something to think about that's something to think about all right guys i'll see you in the next episode thank you for listening hope you enjoyed enjoy life have a good day